Hello and welcome to the Beaver Pod. Today we've got with us the star team of Hugh Griffiths, Junior Vice President and President-elect of Beaver, Lucy Grieve. Hi both. Hello. Hello. Uh, And today we're going to be talking a little bit about um, uh, health and safety in relation to radiography. Don't go to sleep quite yet. Um, And we'll be touching on a project on equine obesity. But before that, we'll start with Parish News. Firstly, for those importing semen, embryo or horses, uh, and as a result of the incoming Smarter Rules for Safer Food, with the SRSF acronym, um, those regulations designed to improve biosecurity traces is going to be decommissioned and switched off on 14th of December this year um, and be replaced by a new pre-notification system. Also in the news, uh, for the first time in the profession, 15 member organisations, vet schools and policy-making bodies, including Beaver, have come together to affirm their commitment to veterinary medicine based on sound scientific principles um, and have produced a publication called Evidence-Based Veterinary Medicine Matters as part of the commitment to the future. And lastly, well worth a look on the back of the uh, World Antimicrobial Awareness Week, uh, Dave Rendell has produced a webinar on rational antimicrobial therapy and equine practice and that's available uh, on the e-learning site through the website or it was promoted in the e-news last week so click on the link there and you should be able to go and watch that it's an excellent excellent webinar so moving on Hugh health and safety executive and radiography I think one of your groups had an inspection recently haven't they yeah that's right so um this had been a little bit on the back foot for obvious reasons with all the um, Brexit manoeuvres. And of late, that has been stood down slightly whilst we're waiting for the election. So they have now stepped up a gear. And um, yeah, one of our group were inspected last week. And um, so people were, on the one hand, slightly shocked this actually happened. But um, but equally, they, they were pretty positive. I think the the experience seemed fair. And, um, and they seemed to be working within the guidelines that they've given us. And you know, they were very much focusing on on whether the 17 regulations were being adhered to and, um, you know, focusing on the, the little things like our backup warning lights um, is the second light in parallel to the existing, et cetera, et cetera. So all of the dry stuff that health and safety seems to to bring to the fore, but, um, but equally important things. And, and they were very interested in the documentation um, and obviously mobile x-ray procedures were a definite worry because that's where a huge amount of the problems seem to exist. So so all in all, it seemed like a very fair inspection and there's a little bit of information sharing within the group. So that's going to be available to other members of our group and I'm sure um, that could be extended beyond um, if that was found beneficial. And was that, uh, was that all... Uh, hospital based or did they actually come out in the field and look at what was going on with the mobile mobile x-rays uh, the my understanding that it wasn't our practice but my understanding was that the the inspection was done at the hospital premises um, and then the mobile equipment was inspected and the procedures were they inquired about the procedures and the methodology and then the answers were either acceptable or not and, and then any any errors or omissions were highlighted. But that sort of highlights a, a, an area where I think we've been a bit conscious more recently 
within the association that that everyone or not everyone lots of people say they do something particularly with mobile radiography but perhaps that doesn't always occur in practice Lucy yeah absolutely I mean we're all taught how to x-ray safely when we uh, are at university and probably do internships and things like this but you know by and large when you're faced in clinical situations with you know untrained people helping or a horse that's not quite behaving or unsatisfactory surroundings and environment then you know things slip and you're so engrossed I suppose in the clinical case and trying to get the job done that sometimes you know the 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 really um the, the really fundamental aspects of radiation safety do get a little bit lost and um certainly in the field that's the most obvious place that it's going to happen when you're out on your own and no one else is with you um, not being about the bush, I suppose one of the most common things that we uh, consider might go on all the time or much of the time is is holding the generator in, mm. in by hand. That would be fair, wouldn't it? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I think generator holding is something that we all know we're not supposed to be doing nowadays, but it is the quickest and easiest way to take an x-ray in a, in a, in a sort of non-clinic environment. And it certainly is going on all the time in equine practice. And here, there's, there's a potential, there's a perception there that actually the risk is so minimal that actually it's a it's a safer thing to do to have the generator in your hand than to put it on a stand when you're out in the field. Yeah, it's a bit of a conundrum, isn't it? Because we've all been taught, you know, you, you know general members of the public would be very aware of radiation being a risk and the actual data that suggests that it's causing cancer in in various individuals is very very low. But having said that. You know, the I, the gold standard would be no risk as opposed to a low risk and we should always work towards that and I think there there is a complexity because I think it's the nature of our patient is the problem and as Lucy was um, mentioning earlier we're probably the only people out there who are using a, a radiography piece of equipment which is not in a sensibly enclosed room and I think barring the zoo vets I think the equine vets are the only people who are taking this piece of equipment out and using it in an environment that it was never designed to be used in. And if you compare ourselves to the medical field and the dentists, you know, the way in which we're using this technology is is reasonably unacceptable. And that's a real privilege, I think, Lucy, isn't it? And and something that we take for granted too much? Yeah, I think so. I think we, we ought not rest on our laurels and think that this is something we're always going to be able to do. And I think as health and safety becomes more and more in the limelight in, in everybody's industries and everyone's lives, we have to, you know, wake up and 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 see what's coming and and look at the risks that perhaps are, are being posed at our privilege that we have. As you say, we need to be not caught on the back foot, but looking forwards at ways of making our industry safe um, when using radiation. And and certainly, we don't want to be caught doing the wrong things. You know, it's, it shouldn't be happening, and we need to try and be better. But isn't this isn't this just another instance of health and safety gone mad? Shouldn't we be challenging uh the stance that the health and safety executive has taken uh, i suppose potentially yeah there there is that element and i think the point is we need to f- find some middle ground don't we i mean the ideal is always perfect and and what we should be striving towards but in a in a in a genuine clinical situation we have to accept that there are other factors at play we can't pretend that we're always in this sterile perfect environment where everything should go well if we do things correctly Hugh, have you got any thoughts on that yeah, only that very much as Lucy said. I think you know we should have a considered respect for what they're trying to achieve. That you know, none of these rules are being put in place to make our lives difficult. They're there to protect us from a potentially dangerous situation. And I think 
you know, we are, as Lucy said, in a very, very privileged position because, again, we're probably the only people who are taking x-rays on animals that aren't even sick. You know, sort of radiography is very much a diagnostic tool for the purpose of, of helping a sick individual. And suddenly we're using them for PPEs where we're doing sort of 40 set plate, you know, 40 plate sets without even thinking about it. So we are, you know, again, as Lucy said, it's a very privileged position. And I think we have to, within that, be willing to adhere to the guidance that we're given so, and to avoid the loss of that privilege in the future. Absolutely. It, stri- uh, it strikes me that that in many cases we do our best in a to, to pro- find a pragmatic solution. But also you hear stories, in fact I heard one from you last week Lucy, of, of the, some of the practices in terms of hand-holding plates um, close to the body with poorly collimated beams uh, are out there. So uh, we may be doing things okay in some areas or minimising the risk in some areas, but in other areas, we're being a bit stupid, aren't we? Yeah, and I think that's the trouble, isn't it? I think there's a lot of um, poor radiography skills and poor radiation um, safety adherence going on out in practice all over the place. And the, the, the point is we need to be trying to address the really the really basic level don't we I think to start yeah. with before we start looking at at the at the more complicated aspects you know just simple things like not hand holding the plates and certainly not hand holding anything without appropriate protection on you know I mean that's that's something that really shouldn't be happening in this day and age we've got such wonderful equipment out there that we now have that wasn't around 20 30 years ago that we, we means we have to do that so to hear that those practices are still in place in in certain areas of the country or certain parts of the industry is a bit worrying and certainly just being good at x-raying you know that means you're not taking as many exposures as many retakes and that's a massive factor that we can definitely work on you know making sure people are skilled properly and taught properly um, will avoid a a huge over exposure if you like of people and and animals. Absolutely and Hugh uh, it strikes me that if if some of these really really poor practices were were exposed um it would make life pretty difficult for all of us yeah i think so i think i think you're going back to the same phrase it's a privilege and if there is evidence that we're abusing that privilege then the reality is as an as an entirety we will lose that privilege and i think within that i think there's a there's a huge onus on us to stick together as practitioners i think there's a lot of competition out there and very easy to be drawn into this scenario with with anything in practice but especially radiography where you're drawn into taking the x-rays in an environment that isn't correct because of the pressures or commercial pressures as opposed to um an emergency clinical case and i think if nothing else as a profession we just need to stick together and stop that and and have a unified front to the public where we just say that we can't x-ray this horse in this environment it's not an emergency it's perfectly reasonable to improve this situation be it in having more more staff or, or better facilities or, or just making good whatever the deficit is. And I think that's certainly one area that we can improve maybe in a more positive way than, than exposing other people that aren't, aren't quite doing it right. It strikes me that we're sometimes we're not very good at that, that we're, we're all fighting, fighting for the same dollar and, and there isn't this drive as a, as a part of the profession to improve our practice. Lucy, you're, you know, someone like Rostow's is, is perhaps considered to be top of the bunch, but you're presumably subject to the same sort of commercial pressures. 
Absolutely, yeah, we are, and and I think that's the that's the point is is not just looking at this in a very black and white way because we're not going to get to any kind of workable solution in that in that in that way. So we have to take into account all the pressures, all the factors that influence what we're doing day in day out. And you know, I can't reiterate enough that having somebody that's well taught and well skilled who who may may go out and take. 12 x-rays without any retakes is going to be better than someone going out and taking 30 or 40 to achieve the same number of views in a diagnostic way that you know that's we that's the bit we can really work on is is making sure that we are not taking too many exposures or not overexposing and certainly making sure we're using the equipment available us to us um, to minimize the the risks that we're putting ourselves at. So not the sexiest of subjects, but but actually a really important part of what we do. And we should be taking care not to lose the privileges that we've got. That sounds a bit sanctimonious, doesn't it, Hugh? But is that, do you think the same sort of thing? Yeah, I think so. I, th- I think that's exactly where we're at. And there's also, I think, one of the one of the areas that's a huge opportunity for the nursing corps as well, isn't it? Because I'm, I'd be very happy to admit that, you know, our nurses are probably far better at x-raying than I am. They're doing it day in, day out, and they're absolutely expert at what they're doing. And as Lucy said, you know, their retake rate is lower than mine. So um, I think it's, you know, another great opportunity that we draw in the whole team as opposed to trying to do everything solo. Yeah, great. I agree. Lucy, any final, final summing up comments? Um, Not really, other than I just think we all need to to take a little look in the mirror and look at our own practices. And certainly those, you know, those that are in charge of, of, of actual practices themselves need to need to address this stuff on a on an individual basis, you know, because until we start being honest about how we can improve as 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 individuals, we're never going to get a, a sort of a, a united front, if you like, as an industry and a profession. So I think it's important we all look at ourselves Absolutely. carefully in the mirror. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> well, on that note, and Lucy, you and I are going to talk a little bit about obesity, and look, it's not necessarily looking at ourselves in the mirror. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, Hugh, thank you very much for that. Uh, Lucy, I will keep on. Bye, you. Bye, bye. Bye. So, Lucy, you're head of the Ethics and Welfare Committee, and one of the projects that that committee's got going on this year or next year is uh, a new way of tackling the obesity problem. Tell us about that. Yeah, so we've been listening to our membership over the years, and consistently in the in the membership survey, we've had people demonstrating their concern at the increasing problem of equine obesity in the UK. Um, You know, it's a daily problem that people are faced with. They're very um, sort of disappointed, I think, with with the response they get from owners when they try and bring the subject up. And there's plenty of good information out there already, but no tangible effect has ever been seen by any previous campaigns thus far. That's that's part of the problem, isn't it? There seems to be loads and loads of guidelines about how to lose weight, how to measure your horse's weight, how to how to control your horse's diet but nothing really seems to have had a positive effect does it that's right yeah the information's there but for some reason the owners just aren't using it or aren't applying it and that's that's an issue that we're trying to trying to think why you know why is there being been no effect from what's already done so that's when we we decided to bring in the behavioral behavioral insights team or the nudge unit which was a unit set up by government uh, back in 2010 to try and influence the way that people paid their taxes, uh, paid for their driving licenses, etc. Um, and they did, they've done some fantastic stuff, but 
the use of behavioral science to change behavior is is quite good and it ranges from um as i said before the tax payments through to uh reducing the mess in men's lose simply by etching a fly onto a urinal and blokes being blokes you have to aim at something um and and just by doing that simple thing um cleaning costs were significantly reduced in dutch urinals so <laughs> that may seem a long way from f- fat horses but we we then brought them in to to look at what what we saw as a problem that was a bit intractable and hadn't been addressed in other ways, didn't we? Yeah, exactly. We needed to try and look at this issue from a different point of view, a different angle. It needed something fresh um, in order to try and see if we could, you know, really make a positive impact. Um, and that's where we got the Braveheart Insights team in and had a wonderful day at, at looking at that that issue in in isolation and following their methods to try and follow a, a, a reason, a way of tackling it. And that's key. That was key, wasn't it? And one of the things that they, or the main thing they were pushing is rather than try and deal with the whole problem in one go, yeah. break it down into small elements, find out where the, the early friction points are, what people find difficult as individual elements of the problem, find one of those that you can influence and then f- see if you can find an easy and attractive way to, to influence that small element of the the problem exactly so that's what we got down to wasn't it yeah and we we certainly established early on in that process that it's the recognition of, of the obesity in by the owner um, that seems to be a major problem you know the owners simply don't see their horse as being fat um, and and so we decided that that was the the early point in the process at which we should perhaps look more closely and see how we can can encourage that to be a successful thing that vets can be involved in helping owners achieve and I think we, we, having done our survey earlier in the year, we recognised that whilst that intervention, i.e. vet saying to owner, your horse is too fat, you need to do something about it, is very straightforward, it's pretty problematic. And it's something that a lot of people found tricky to do for fear of losing clients or upsetting clients or because they didn't want to get dragged down into a lengthy discussion and debate about whether their horse was overweight, what should be done about it, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah, exactly. We're, we're, you know, we're, we're always in a rush. We don't often have enough time to tackle things in consultations anyway. Um, and like you say, trying to embark on this massive topic uh, with, in, a, in a couple of minutes that you might have spare after a vaccination or a routine visit was just not something people were managing to do. And it's a sensitive subject, isn't it? I mean, you don't yeah. want to insult people, but equally, um, it was clearly getting people, you know, vets down, um, seeing these horses that were being affected by what is essentially a preventable issue um, that can be life-threatening, you know, with, with the related yeah. diseases that occur. So we would we try to find something that would be a simple, easy, inoffensive way for the vet to initiate that um, intervention, didn't we? Yeah, precisely. And, and and what we came up with after, you know, going through this process with the Behavioural Insights team was, was that a, a routine vaccination visit, so whether that's annual or six monthly, was going to be the perfect time to just assess that horse's weight just visually, no body condition scoring, no weight tapes. Just look at it grossly with your eyes and decide simply, is it a healthy weight um, and therefore something just needs to be maintained or is this horse overweight? Um, and then upon, with that decision making, then it affects what you then do. And the idea was we used the vaccination reminder stickers that many practices already use um, and stick on the front of the passports. We'd take that sticker and use it in a colour-coded traffic system, traffic light system. So you had red, amber, and green, 
um, which would denote whether a horse was obviously green and okay. Um, amber, it was at risk and overweight of, uh, of getting some of these obesity-related diseases, or whether it was red and it was seriously you know, in danger of, of potentially life-threatening disease. And with those traffic light systems, the, the, the sticker would include a QR code. So rather than just giving the sticker a colour and, and, and trying to invoke a, a, a discussion there and then with the client, it was an opportunity for the client to then use that QR code on their smartphone, any smartphone, just use the camera to to take a picture of the of the QR code. And then it would lead you through to further information. Further information being you saying your horse is too fat. <laughs> Yeah. Your horse is really, really fat, or your horse is work good, well done. Yeah. Um, and that's it. so the vet who's puts a sticker on the passport at vaccination time can have a conversation there and then if they want to. Yeah. Or can just say, look, use the QR code, have a look. And that will lead on, um, you know, owners are encouraged with the use of a question above the QR code to, to follow that link. That link then comes up with either well done or you need to do something about your horse's weight, speak to your vet, but also look at look at the links um, that are available and see what risk you're putting the horse, your horse under. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And what action they need to take. So it basically leaves it open for either the vet to discuss it there and then with that client if it's comfortable to do so, or it doesn't mean that's the only option. It gives the client um, the ability and the vet the ability, I suppose, to leave that client to do it in their own time. And I think you're then ca- you're capturing more different client personalities that way you know the ones that don't necessarily want to talk about that there and then with their vet and also the ones that 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 do so it gives you a few different options to then give that information to those owners and then leave them to to think about it give them time absolutely absolutely well one of the things the behavioral insights team were really keen to push is that you you when you come up with these concepts they may be brilliant but they need trialing so well i know we're going to trial that but that's that's on the back of some you know there was a project in the states where millions and millions of dollars were spent um taking uh, prisoners into schools to explain to school kids in uh, in at-risk areas quite what life was like in prison and how miserable and horrible it was the intention was obviously to to ensure that kids stayed out of jail. Um, the impact of that project and the millions of pounds that were spent was that where the prisoners had been taken into schools, actually the crime rate and the conviction rate increased. So more kids went to prison as a result of being spoken to by prisoners. Um, so clearly we don't want to fall into that area. So we're running a trial, aren't we? Yeah, exactly. And, and precisely that, you know, what seems like an obvious solution to an issue sometimes turns out to be the wrong the wrong the wrong solution it's not the solution it has a, the opposite effect so we definitely don't want to be doing that and and investing time and energy in something that's not going to work so a pilot is the obvious answer um you know we're doing a six month pilot we've selected you know a handful of practices um randomly of different sizes and different types to try this and we're going to see what the outcome is you know we're not going to measure the outcome based on how many horses have actually lost weight. We're just going to take the simple point of have these owners clicked through to that information? Have we captured their attention by this by this sticker reminder traffic light system? And then based on that we can we can garner whether there's been success or not. Absolutely. So we'll know we'll know how how easy hopefully we'll get good feedback from the vets and they'll tell us how easy it was to use the stickers, what the problems were. Yeah. Um, We'll know how many stickers have been put out there yep. we'll know how many of those stickers 
um, have been clicked through to, we'll know how many click throughs there have been yeah. to watch the video. We'll know how many people have gone on from watching the video to look at the information on what risks that puts the horse under. And then again, how many of those will have looked at weight loss programs. Um, and hopefully we'll also have some feedback from the vets who put those stickers on who, if it all goes well, we'll be seeing an, an increased number of owners coming to them asking for advice on weight loss programs. Exactly. Um, of course, it may fail completely um, and we may be coming back in six months time saying that's a bad idea. We need to start again. Precisely. But at least we're doing something. Yeah, exactly. And we're doing it in the right format, in the right way. We're going about it the right way. So I think it's going to be a, a good a good experience and I think it'll be very interesting to see how, what comes of it. And we will come back and we will admit to people if we failed. Um, <laughs> of course. <laughs> and if we, if we don't fail, if it all does have a positive effect, then we'll hopefully roll it out to all the membership. Exactly. Yeah. Watch this so space. Watch, watch this space. <laughs> Great. Thanks, Lucy. Thank you, David.